Welcome to the West Virginia Writers Podcast, a service of West Virginia Writers Incorporated, the Mountain State's largest all-volunteer nonprofit organization dedicated to writers. Established and incorporated in 1977, West Virginia Writers continues to support writers and writing statewide through program sponsorship, an annual writing contest, and an annual Summer Writers Conference. This podcast is dedicated to promoting the organization, its members, and events, as well as writers throughout Appalachia and beyond. And now, broadcasting from atop a hill in Mercer County, here is your host, El Presidente, Emeritus. Thank you, Gertrude, and hola, citizens. Welcome to Episode 17 of the West Virginia Writers Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Fritzhughes. As you might have heard, I currently live and broadcast from atop a hill in Mercer County. However, I used to live atop a hill in Greenbrier County, and actually, before that, on the side of an entirely different hill in Greenbrier County. One of my favorite things about that particular neck of our state is the presence of the Greenbrier Valley Theater in downtown Lewisburg. For the past seven or eight years, one of the theater's annual programs has been their October Literary Tea Series. In the literary teas, the public is invited to come by the theater around about 5.30 on Thursday afternoons in October, enjoy some hot tea, some tasty baked goods, and listen to actors from the theater recite works of literature. Around October 2004, GVT's artistic director Kathy Sawyer and their development director Joe Buttram invited West Virginia writers to join them in producing this event. We were also helpful in providing extra readers for the teas in the form of winners of West Virginia Writers' annual writing contest from Greenbrier and surrounding counties. It's been a grand success and is always a fun evening. For our podcast this week, I thought it would be nice to play one of our patented recorded live readings, featuring a reading I did for one of the literary teas a couple of years ago. The story I read then came from a book called Gothic Bedtime Stories, which is a collection of short stories written by West Virginia Writers member and former Region 3 representative Bev Pauley. I've known Bev since shortly after moving to West Virginia, and she's an excellent writer of darkly humorous tales and mysteries. However, one of her more endearing continuing characters is a West Virginia vampire named Rutherford Zucks. The story I read here is the very first of the Rutherford Zucks stories called Faux Fangs. And just to help set this up, it's a well-known fact that no matter where they might live, and no matter what Stephanie Meyer would have you believe, all vampires have a Transylvanian accent. Rutherford Zucks sat up from his repose and yawned. His eyes were streaked with red. Light green flannel pajamas draped his small, stooped shoulders. A hand dotted with brown spots reached forth their long, bony fingers to pick up thick-framed glasses lying on the nightstand. Two glasses of water contained sets of false teeth, one with fangs and one without. His face was pale, almost a light gray pallor, and his cheeks were sunken. His white hair, so thin one could see his pink scalp, was disheveled. He looked to the bedroom door and yelled, Brentfield, come here, I need you! <laughs> he closed his eyes in weariness, both from the physical gruel of long years and chronic depression of his existence. A young man stepped into the room. Yes, master? Please, help me out. I'm feeling poorly. The young man reached a strong, firm arm about the frail man and lifted him out of the coffin in one swift motion to a standing position. Do you want to see what it's like outside? Yes, open the curtains, he answered. A long, deep sigh escaped his thin lips. The moon and stars hid their faces behind the clouds in the dark, in the dark sky. How awful it is to remain an old man, 
These defective genes, I curse the day I was transformed. What cruelties I must endure. Brent asked him, Master, do you wish to go out for a bite or wait until you get to work at the parlor? To tell the truth, I'd rather have a good stiff shot of whiskey, he said, deep in thought. It has been so many years. How many years has it been? I can't seem to remember. Brent left him standing at the window and returned with the glucometer and testing strip. He pointed to the sofa, and the older man sat down on the middle cushion. Hold your finger still, he said. A prick brought forth a drop blood droplet to be placed on the testing strip and then inserted into the glucometer until a beep announced its completion. The young man looked at the number and declared, Yep, you're low a quart. <laughs> the older man's eyes flashed with anger. None of that. Just calculate how much blood I need. Hmm, I'd say a whole cup right away. Red liquid gurgled in a water cooler in the living room corner. Brent measured it in a black cup and placed it in the master's trembling hands. The older man's lips were stained crimson as he drank. His pallor began to disappear, replaced by light pink in his cheeks, and he stood up. Now that's more like it. A hanger hung on the door, holding a black suit coat and trousers, white dress shirt and black bow tie. He raised an eyebrow and questioned to Brent. The mortuary called. Two clients arrived this afternoon, he answered. Brent helped him with the buttons and brought him false teeth without fangs. Rutherford's cheeks plunked out, no longer sunken. His other set of teeth was dried and placed in a small box, which he dropped into the front pocket of his jacket. Outside, Brent warmed, the, up, warmed up the new red truck's engine, special ordered from Roanoke two months ago. He was about five, inches, five feet ten inches tall, four inches taller than Rutherford and thirty-five pounds heavier. The young man worked at the local library during the mornings with fewer patrons, and his only outside source of human contact was that. This working arrangement allowed him to read and indulge in internet surfing. His needs were few, so most of his paycheck was stashed in a shoebox under his bed. Brent wore jeans most of the time. Today he wore a mint green shirt. Two other shirts identical in style and shades of yellow and tan comprised his working attire. Red hair, green eyes, and a multitude of freckles gave credence to his Irish heritage. He had just celebrated his birthday and possessed a face that seldom smiled. Pizza was his favorite food, and he was careful to eat it hours before the master arose so the aroma would not permeate the air. Brent stepped on the gas and revved the engine. Rutherford locked the front door and then held onto the strap, pulling himself up into the truck. The funeral home was a ten-minute drive from their mountain home. The old home place lay hidden in the tall mountains, thick with trees and brush off the main road. His mother was buried behind the house in her lush rose garden. The older man closed his eyes and, st and stated, Spring is almost here. Did I ever tell you about my mama's spring peas? I think that's what I miss most. And a thick, juicy deer steak. And her homemade strawberry ice cream so cold and soothing on my tongue. He looked at Brent and said, I envy you. Sometimes life doesn't seem worth the trouble. One day I will indulge my fantasy, lay down on Mama's grave and take a sun nap. Brent's eyes were filled with concern. He stopped the truck behind a large building. The mortuary stood white and pale, reflecting the lifelessness inside. Rutherford said, Brent, be here early to pick me up. I'll have another cooler refill tonight. Okay, I'll catch a few winks and be back before dawn. He waited as the older man got out of the truck and entered the building before he pulled out. Lying in his bed, Brent set the alarm in case he overslept, which would be deadly for Rutherford, 
and he looked at the photo of the Harley-Davidson motorcycle in Biker Magazine. His eyelids grew heavy, and he yawned, yielding himself, himself to the dream world. Rutherford set about his embalming duties in the prep room. He knew the routine well. Even now, he worked on an as-needed basis. A chocolate allergy forced him to be careful in filling his water cooler with needed sustenance from men, preferably tonight. However, he took his dinner break from a larger woman, since her family brought a high-collared dress for her viewing. An older man, the other customer, wanted to go to his reward in his favorite T-shirt with the neck full in view. Brent arrived an hour before dawn and walked upstairs to carry down the heavy container with its sloshing liquid within. Rutherford followed more, more slowly down the stairs. Time was of the essence in, per in preserving his nourishment. Soon the water cooler was gurgling in the living room corner, and Rutherford, in his cozy warm pajamas, lay in his coffin for a much-needed rest. Later that evening, moans came from within the coffin. Brent rushed into the room, feeling alarmed and confused. He opened the lid and heard the master wince as he rubbed his aching head. His hands were swollen, and he scratched itchy red splotches on his arms. What's wrong, master? That darned woman must have eaten chocolate. Run and get my allergy pill. <laughs> Upon returning, Brent helped him to the couch, and Rutherford was careful not to rest his head on his mama's crocheted doily placed on the back. He put the pill on, on his swollen tongue, took a big swig of blood, and sent Brent for an ice bag for his head. Brent checked his blood sugar level later and found it was high. You'll have to go fast for the evening and hope it goes down to normal. Rutherford leaned his head back and stated, I would wish this on anyone. I wouldn't wish this on anyone. Well, maybe the ex-wife. <laughs> he closed his eyes and as he recalled angry words and painful insults she inflicted on his dear mother. I need to put some flowers on Mama's grave as soon as I get better. About 4 a.m., Rutherford pushed back thick shrubs standing guard on the garden that would, have adorned, would be adorned in warmer weather with pink and red roses planted long ago by his mama. Two dead roses lay on her grave before a heart-shaped headstone. Oh, mama, if only you were here. He wiped a tear escaping his eyes and running down his pale cheeks. He laid down on her grave to rest and was awakened just before dawn by Brent Field's gentle shaking of his shoulders. That year, spring burst through the bitter cold of a long, hard winter. Daffodils peeked their heads out to greet the warmth of the sun. Butterfly wings fluttered in delight above yellow flowers. The aroma of freshly chopped ramps hung heavy in the air. Hand-painted signs tacked onto telephone poles announced the forthcoming ramp festival, promising these tasty delights, baked in chunks of buttermilk cornbread, boiled in steaming pots of pinto beans, and fried with round, thin slices of potatoes, all served with generous portions of red squirrel and gravy. <laughs> Rutherford Zucks had enjoyed many a, a plate piled heavy with ramp dishes, topped with a dollop of Mama's hot pickle relish. Man, that was some good eating. Now the smells made his skin break out in hives and his stomach feel nauseous. He didn't need to look at the calendar to know the arrival of May, now a curse to him with that noxious odor of ramps offending his nose forcing him to leave his mountain home for weeks. His watery eyes told him so. He felt as if the ramps were a blanket, threatening to engulf him, suffocate him, even as he lay in the sanctuary of his coffin. His stomach felt queasy and his throat burned. Seated on the couch, Brent asked a question, interrupting the master's deep thoughts. Master, shall I pack for the vampire reunion? 
No, last year's reunion sucked. I'll never go back. No more respect anymore. Treated me like an old man. Even called me grandpire. I guess because I put in the wrong teeth and nearly gnawed that neck raw before it hit me what was wrong. Hot spots of red shame adorned his cheeks as he remembered his humiliation. But master, we, we can't stay here. Where can we go? Never mind me. I'll just take a sun nap on Mama's grave. I'm just too tuckered out to go on, Rutherford stated. Brent said, Master, I have an idea. I saw a magazine ad that said Biker Week starts in Florida in a few days. His eyes sparkled. And I could go to the library internet for driving directions and a, a motel near a funeral home in case you need to dash in for a bite. Okay. For your sake, I will, he answered. The next day was a flurry of activity for Brent as the master slept. When Rutherford arose for the night, there stood Brent, grinning like he had just won the lottery without putting out a dollar for the ticket. He handed the master a cup of blood and said, Look outside. Brent's eyes sparkled as he pointed to the Harley-Davidson fat boy tied in the back of their red pickup truck. Brent stood there, attired in black leather jacket, decked out with silver buttons and zipper pockets. He wore jeans and black-toed riding boots with a silver buckle. At his side, he held a half-shell helmet with Born Wild airbrushed on it. Over his red hair, he wore a red, white, and blue do-rag. What do you think, Master? Isn't it awesome? Rutherford laughed and stated, Yes, it sure is. And everything is packed and ready to go, just waiting on you. There's an emergency thermos bottle under the seat. Okay, Brent. We've got a long ride. Let's get going. Rutherford felt wide awake and alive. He enjoyed the sounds of the night and freedom of riding on the long highway. Brent was a good driver and enjoyed driving the truck on its first long trip. He set the cruise control and cranked up the radio, listening to country music. He stopped only to get some hot coffee. On the road again, about 5.30 a.m., a siren blared and Brent looked up in dismay. Oh no! I forgot to set the cruise control again! He pulled over to the side of the highway. Rutherford didn't need to look at his watch to know it was getting late. In exactly 45 minutes, it would be twilight, followed shortly by sunrise at the break of dawn. The policeman looked into the truck and asked, Is he all right? He doesn't look too good. Uh, he's my uncle. We're going to the beach to get him some fresh air. Okay, let me see your license and registration. Please step out of the vehicle. The policeman instructed Brent. Brent stepped out with the papers, and Rutherford drummed his fingers on the seat. The policeman inspected the documents under flashlight illumination. He looked at the motorcycle in the back of the truck and then asked, Is that a toolbox down the side of the truck? Looks like it's about six feet long. Brent explained, oh, Yeah, it's, it's a special ordered toolbox. Any contraband in there, son? No, sir, no, no, nothing in there but an old blanket. Well, let's open her up. Looks strange to me. Brent got the keys from the ignition and unlocked the toolbox. A musty smell permeated the air. Inside was an old blanket covering the whole length. A small square pillow lay in the top corner. Inside the truck, the older man looked up at the sky and then at his watch. He rubbed his chin and looked out the cab window. Brent closed and relocked the toolbox. The policeman spoke. Well, go on, son. Get that old man to fresh air. Just watch the speed now. Brent thanked the officer and started the truck. Rutherford stated, That was close. We need to stop soon. Maybe it's time for me to call it quits. I'm just so tired. Just 
Just bury me beside Mama. No, Master, I, I found a real nice hotel and a biker bar near a funeral home. I think just the, the think of the warm moonlight and, and walking along the ocean, it'll renew your spirits. And you can ride on the back of my hog. Just think of it. Rutherford noticed Brent's rare smile. Okay, maybe a change of scenery and some new blood will help me. Brent sighed in relief. Rutherford continued. And I want me a pair of those flip-flops, bright yellow to walk on the beach and bask in the moonlight. Brent's eyes were bright with excitement. And he said, And I've always wanted to try one of them little blue drinks with an umbrella. Seeing a secluded place, Brent pulled over the truck and stopped. The two men got out and stood at the back of the truck while Brent unlocked the toolbox. He helped Rutherford into the toolbox where he lay down on the blanket covering dirt from home. He lowered his head gently on the pillow. Brent checked the straps holding the motorcycle. Rutherford crossed his arms on his chest and spoke. Brent, this might be fun after all. You say we're near a biker bar? It's been ages since I had me a good beer. <laughs> Beverly Polly lives in Alderson with her husband Curtis and their dachshund Quentin, named after Quentin Collins, the werewolf from the soap opera Dark Shadows. And for you Stephanie Meyer fans, that's a great show to watch in case you'd like to see what a real vampire looks like. The adventures of Rutherford Zucks and Brentfield continue throughout gothic bedtime stories, but the collection contains quite a few forays into non-vampiric stories as well. If you'd like to get a copy of Gothic Bedtime Stories, it's available at fine bookstores like The Open Book in Lewisburg, and we also have a link to where you can find it online at our website. The 2009 Literary Teas take place Thursday evenings throughout October at the Greenbrier Valley Theater, beginning at 5.30. If you'd like to mark your calendar more specifically than that, the dates are October 1st, 8th, 15th, and 22nd, and there will be a special kids' literary tea on October 29th. Each week, the featured readers include one of the actors from GVT as well as one of the winners of the West Virginia Writers' Competition. This year's winning readers include Belinda Anderson, Willa Izzo, and Sarah Crickenberger. We'll also have a reading from our brand new Region 3 representative, Tim Armentrout. He's an excellent poet, which is good because the literary teas actually extend into November each year, and this year's special community poetry tea is taking place November the 5th, with poets far and wide invited to come in at the usual 5.30 time to share their work. We hope to be able to record at least some of those readings at the Literary Tees for use in future podcasts. Speaking of contest winners, while the West Virginia Writers Annual Writing Contest does not open for submissions until January 2nd, the contest entry form itself is mere days away from making its debut. Traditionally, the contest form makes its first appearance at the West Virginia Book Festival in Charleston. This year, that's going to be October 10th and 11th at the Charleston Civic Center. West Virginia Writers always has a table there and sponsors a writing workshop. This year's workshop is by Jeff and Karen Fuller and is entitled Putting Flesh on the Bones, How Writers Create Character and Story from Memories. It's on October 10th at 2 p.m. And for those of you curious as to future workshop presenters for the West Virginia Writers Summer Conference, you might want to take a look at the schedule for Saturday, particularly the hours of 12 noon and 4 p. That link is also available on our website, wvwriters.org slash podcast.html. Our opening voiceover was provided by Marcus Fowle. Our show's theme music is used with permission by its composer, Pops Walker, whose albums can be found at popswalker.com and cdbaby.com. This program has been produced by Mr. Herman's Production Company Limited and was recorded atop a hill in Mercer County. <laughs>